Second message of our Forward Faith series, it will be provided. Last week we talked about what is faith. We defined it as an inner material substance that becomes the evidence of things hoped for. We talked about the distinction between hope and faith and how, though they are distinct in nature, they always must go together when you're speaking in a biblical sense as it relates to God. Because hope is the destination, what you're trying to get to, where you want to go, what you want to receive. Hope is the destination. And if hope is the destination, then faith becomes the bridge to get you there. And without hope, faith is a bridge to nowhere. It's why God's word is full of promises that are detailed in a way that stir up our hope. And faith and hope go together, and God and his word are the source of both. When it comes to faith, God has provided it. We must receive it, believe it, and act on it. Let's say that together. Receive it, believe it, and act on it. However... For week number two, an inconvenient truth about faith is that once you have it in you, once you have it, that inner material substance called faith, once you have it, it will be tested. Trials will come and put your faith in a courtroom to try and examine and figure out the legitimacy of that thing down on the inside of you called faith. And we live in a generation that loves to hear about the blessings of God, but has no tolerance for the trials that often accompany them. We quote scriptures about blessing and great promises from God, Forgetting that the men God used to write those scriptures were stoned for what they believed, beheaded for what they believed, imprisoned for what they believed, crucified upside down for what they believed, persecuted for what they believed. And for us today in the church in 2021, we think we've gone through some big persecution if we decide to come to church during a pandemic. Those of you that did decide to come to church. And the reality is, if you have real faith, the faith that is in you demands a trial. At some point or another, your faith will be tested. And so 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, the scripture that I read you, it's almost like the apostle Peter knows that he's speaking prophetically to a generation that will arise in the future that will expect to go through nothing. So I want you to notice, he doesn't just speak to the outcome, the fiery trial. He speaks about the attitude while you're going into it. He says, think it not strange. In our generation, we freak out. We think strange stuff is happening to us when we go into a trial or a difficulty. And Peter says, think it not strange. Listen, you may be hurting. You may be going through hell this morning. You may have problems so plenteous you can't even number them. But what you don't have is something strange. Trouble and difficulty are native to life. Germane to this experience that we're going through. 
it is not strange. And not only will life test you, but the scripture teaches us that if you have faith, God will allow tests and trials to come into your life. But Peter goes on to say, don't think it's, don't think it's strange, the fiery trial that you're going through as if some strange thing happened to you. But then he says, rejoice in the trial. Because to the degree that you suffer, listen to me, to the degree that you suffer, if your suffering has to do with your faith, to the degree that God allows you to suffer, there will be glory. Peter links the glory of God to the believer who has made it through a trial and yet is still standing in faith. I'm going to say it again. Peter links the glory of God to a believer who's gone through a trial and is left standing after it still in faith. And to those of you in a fiery trial this morning, it's real hot in your life right now. The first thing I came in here to tell you is there will be glory after this. There will be glory after this. Let me tell you two things. Number one, there will be an after this. This is not the thing, whatever the this is that you're dealing with right now. This is not the thing that's going to take you out. God did not bring you this far, keep you alive this long to let the mess you're in right now totally destroy you. You're not going to lose your mind. Your foot's not going to be moved. You're not going to be taken out over this. There will be an after this. And then the next, there will be glory. Glory, I feel that thing down in my spirit. Glory, there will be glory after. Push somebody and shout glory. Once that inner material substance that's known as faith is developed in you, that faith like a magnet will attract a trial. A storm, a difficulty to test it. Sooner or later, you'll be drug into the courtroom and evidence will be presented to see if you really believe all the stuff you've been talking about, and shouting about, and clapping about, and singing about. You will go to court. You will face a trial. But when you do, don't be discouraged because you have an advocate, a defense attorney, the best lawyer in the universe that's never lost a case, and his name is Jesus. James calls him the advocate we have with the Father. What is an advocate? It's one that speaks for you during a trial. Why do I need someone to speak for me during a trial? Because I don't know about you. When the pain gets bad enough, I can't even pray right. When the pain gets bad enough, I don't even know the words to say to ask God to help get me out of what I'm facing. If it gets bad enough in my life, all I can do is cry and groan. But when I can't speak for my own self, the Bible says the advocate with the Father stands up and he starts to speak for me. He starts to pray the prayers I should have been praying. He starts to say the words I should have been saying. Jesus starts speaking for you 
in the trial. Yeah, I know a few of you know how to pray. I know a few of you can pray some beautiful words, but the truth of the matter is it hadn't been your prayers that have kept you through the trials in your life. It hadn't been your prayers or your intensity or your passion that has delivered you from the difficulties that the enemy has sent. The truth of the matter is if you've ever been delivered, you were delivered because Jesus got up and started praying. That's why we praise his name when we come to church. That's why we lift our hands. That's why we clap. That's why we shout. That's why sometimes we just stand there and cry because we realize we would not have made it. We would not have survived unless Jesus did some praying. We cannot enter much further into the conversation we're having at length about faith without considering Abraham the father of faith. Faith at its finest is exemplified in the life of Abraham, born a Gentile, and yet God would use him to father a new nationality of people, the Jews sired by Abraham and miraculously pulled out of the barren womb of Sarah. Abraham was a childless man promised to be the father of many nations. When God told Abraham that he would take his life and give him a miracle son and make him a father of many nations, Abraham received that promise by faith. God provided the promise. Abraham received it, believed it, and then went in the tent and told Sarah, we better act on it. God promised him, I'm going to give you a son. Son's going to be born out of the loins of your barren wife. And Abraham said, I believe it. I'm going to stand on that. And then God left him standing in the faith that he received from that promise. God left him standing in that for 25 years. God waited until it was impossible for it to happen naturally. God waited until Abraham's body was as good as dead. His batteries were broke. Didn't work no more. You know, no Viagra, no Cialis, just nothing worked. So even if she wasn't barren, now he's impotent. And, and God waited until there was no natural way and when it was impossible, that's when God shows up and gives him the promise. Why is it that miracles grow out of the soil of impossibility? 
It's because when you get a miracle out of the soil of impossibility, there's never a question where it came from. When you just see it, you shake your head and say, that ain't nothing but God. I, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have produced that. I didn't strategize that. That wasn't my wisdom. That wasn't my power. That thing was nothing but God. You ever had God do something for you that when you see it, you just shake your head and say that right there? That ain't nothing. That ain't nothing but God. You feel silly when you try to explain it and tell the story to people because they never understand the intensity. To them, it's just a baby. But for you, it was a baby out of a barren room from an impotent man. They'll never get it. But, but, but it's just nothing but that's just nothing but God. Sarah's 90 and he's 99. And they have their first bouncing little baby boy. I've noticed, I noticed this in my grandparents. I've noticed this in my parents. I'm just starting to notice it in me. I know it will magnify in me later on. But usually, the older you get, the more cautious you become. It's cautious. Because with age comes the unfortunate reality of seeing a lot of bad things happen. When you're 19, you'll speed down the highway going 95 on rainy streets. Seatbelt off, music blaring, just having a good old time. But, but what, you start to get a little older and you, you've seen so many accidents. You've seen so many ambulances on the side of the road pulling out a gurney for somebody that was in a car wreck, and all of a sudden, the foot on the accelerator lightens. With age comes that wisdom, and with wisdom comes caution. Can you imagine how cautious Abraham and Sarah were with baby Isaac? I'm sure they didn't let nobody hold him. Man, I was cautious when we had our first baby. Everybody wanted to come up and kiss him. I wouldn't let nobody kiss him. Don't kiss my baby. Katie got a t-shirt that said, don't kiss my baby. Know where your lips have been. Don't kiss my newborn baby. Imagine how careful they were with him. Not only is he their first child, not only is he a miracle child, but he's a child that they stood in faith waiting for for 25 years. Not only did they wait for him for 25 years, but... If God's word to Abraham that I'm going to turn you into a new nation of people. If that word's going to come to pass, then it all rests on Isaac. Can you imagine how precious he was to them? He was a child born 
because of that inner material substance called faith. But now that faith in Genesis 22 is going to be tested. Genesis 22, 1, and now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son. I'm in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham doesn't realize it, but he's acting as a shadow of what God the Father would ultimately do with his only son that he loved. God was using Abraham's life as a caricature to pantomime and present in the Old Testament what he would do. In the New Testament, he said, take your only son, the one you love, and sacrifice him. Just like God the Father in the New Testament would take his only son, Jesus, whom he loved, and sacrifice him. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place. Notice the place. Everybody say the place. You see that in verse three, the place. Then verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Point number one, the place of the test, the place of Testing. Everybody say the place of testing. What does it say about Abraham? It said he looked and he saw the place afar off. When you really walk with God by faith and you stay close to God, there's a benefit to it. There's many benefits, but there's a particular benefit to it. Because he'll let you see your place of testing afar off. He'll let you see it before you walk into it. He'll let you sense it before you enter it. He'll give you a discernment down in your spirit, down in your soul, that that friend is about to betray you. He'll give you inside knowledge and instinct and inner knowing something's wrong on the job. Something is about to go down. He'll give you just a hint on the inside in your mentality that something's not going right with the kids or, or something's up in the family. When you really walk with God, you'll see the place of testing afar off. Verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkeys. The lad and I will go yonder to worship and we will come back to you. Now, it's beautiful language and beautiful imagery, but it's even more beautiful when you understand where he said this. Many of you know, because I've taught it before, that where Abraham offered Isaac was the same mountain that Jesus Christ would later be crucified. 
But when Abraham tells the servants that are with him to stay with the donkey, and he's looking at the place where he's going to make the sacrifice, Abraham was standing in what would later be the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, sleep on, stay here. I'm going a little further into the garden. Same thing Abraham tells his servants. You stay here. Don't worry. I'm going yonder to worship. Because when you really are walking into the place of your trial, you often have to go in alone. There are faith trials and difficulties that you will go through that you can't take your friends with you. There are trials deep on the inside in your spirit, your soul, and your mind. You can't even take your spouse with you. There are things you will go through in this life if you have faith. There are things you will go through in this life that you have to take to the place. Nothing with you but your faith in God. So Abraham's walking towards the place of testing, and he's been stripped of everything except his faith in God. Abraham said, the lad and I were going yonder. But then look what he calls it. He's about to sacrifice his son, but look what he calls it. The lad and I are going yonder to worship. Because worship isn't real worship until you're ready to lay something down and make a sacrifice. I knew I wouldn't get much help right here, but you can clap your hands till they bleed and you can sing till you lose your voice. You haven't really worshiped until you're willing to lay something down that you're connected to, to lay something down that you're related to, to lay something down that pleases your flesh, to lay something down that you love until you're ready to go into the presence of God and build an altar. You have not really, not really place of testing comes to reveal the quality, the nature, and the purity of your worship experience. Worship comes from the word worth-ship. In other words, what is it worth? Now, I know we all love the things that God blesses us with, but occasionally God will put you in a place of testing to see if you love the things God gives more than the God who gives the things. And he put Abraham in that kind of test and that kind of trial. I know you love this boy I gave you, but do you love me more? And Abraham, with tears in his eyes and his heart breaking, started the journey up to the place of testing to prove to God, 
I love the things you've given me, but if you took it all away, the one thing I cannot live without, I cannot live without your presence. I cannot live without your glory. I cannot live without you being the source of my life because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have any of the stuff I've got anyway. God forbid I fall down and worship something that you gave me instead of worshiping the source of where it came from. And so he makes his way to the place. Now, I don't know about you. I am a clinical overthinker. If you look up overthinking in the dictionary, there's a picture of me smiling with a thumbs up right there. I overthink everything. It's why I'm a good preacher. Because you just read the Bible, but I overthink it. You just write notes for a presentation. I overthink it, but I can't turn that off. So all the other issues in my life, I overthink it. And I, I have the feeling Abraham was probably an overthinker as well. Can you imagine all the warriors in the house? Just get with me for a second. Can you imagine what he was thinking as he's walking? Now, the scripture tells us that Abraham had a lying problem, and he, he, he lied a, a, a few times. And I know he lied to Sarah about where they were going. <laughs> what mama you know? <sighs> hey, baby, where are you going today? Oh, I'm just going to go sacrifice our son, set him on fire as an offering to God. <laughs> the hell you are. Husband or not, I'll cut you if you try to leave with this boy. He's lied to his wife, you know. I mean, that's one of those things, you know, you can't say, but God said. I've tried that a few times. It don't always work. God said, we need some alone time together tonight. And I, if you want to obey the word of God, you. <clears throat> Can you imagine what he's thinking? Somehow I got to go home and tell her. I don't know if she'll ever believe that the motive I had for doing this was because I heard from God. Imagine what each step was doing to him on the inside. Can you imagine the anxiety, the pressure, and the stress? 
and the grief he's already feeling because he played it out in his mind. And yet, while he's walking, at the end of verse 5, he tells his servants, Genesis 22, 5, he tells his servants, y'all stay here. Me and the lad are going yonder to worship. And we will be back. We will come back to you. It shocks me that that inner substance, that inner material called faith is still flowing in him in spite of what his mind and his soul are telling him is going on. That inner material substance called faith said to those servants, regardless of what his mind was saying, regardless of all the emotions he was feeling, he said, we will come back to you. Now that's one of the most valuable things that faith can ever do for you in the middle of a crisis. Because if you've got real faith in God, you can be walking toward your place of testing and have a knowing in your spirit. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't know what he's going to use to do it. I don't know which way he's going to work it out. All I know is I will come back out of this thing. I know God's not leading me into this thing as a finality. I know that I will be coming back. If you're in a trial this morning, you need to grab on to that faith that's flowing in the room right now and start walking toward that difficulty, walking toward that fiery furnace with that knowing in your spirit, I will come back. Say it with me. I will come back. If you got some construction on your house that you're going through and it's driving you crazy, just understand it's not always going to be like that. You're going to make it out of this. If you got something going on in your family, you're going to make it out of this. If you got something going on in your health, something going on in your mind, listen to me. You will make it out of this. The word of the Lord said to you, you will come back out of this. This trial is not the finality says we're going yonder to worship but we will notice he didn't say I will that's faith talk he knows God told him to go up there and sacrifice his son and yet knowing that he has the faith to say we're going to come back to you you got to have bold faith. Faith always talks bold in a trial faith always talks big in a trial in fact, that's what the trial does. It strips away the flesh and the mind to expose and reveal the quality of the faith that's there. That's what's happening to Abraham as he's walking. His flesh is being torn apart. His emotions are going crazy. His mind is numb and filled with stress and anxiety. And yet now his spirit, because of the stripping away that the trial has caused, now his spirit is giving voice to the faith that he has on the inside. We will come back. 
Number two, that's the purpose of testing, which is the proof. The purpose of testing is the proof, what it proves to God and what it proves to you and what it proves to those around you to reveal that when the heat is applied to your life, you are more than just flesh and soul, that you have real legitimate faith in your spirit. We all have weaknesses in our flesh. I mean, I don't care how much you pray or how holy you say you are. We all have weaknesses in our flesh and you'll have them till you die. The day you will beat weaknesses in the flesh will be the day that you come up here in a casket. We all have weaknesses in the flesh. We all have weaknesses in the soul. So the trial, the purpose of the trial comes so that those points of weaknesses can momentarily be stripped away and the faith that's left can shine and stand alone on its own and be inspected. And that's the purpose. Sometimes God has to strip you all the way down to just faith. And when you're stripped all the way down to just faith, when that's all you've got, there's a, such a purity that comes in your worship. You, you've never worshiped like you worship when you're going through a trial. You've never praised God like you'll praise God when you're going through a trial. In fact, you're going through a trial. Nobody has to beg you to lift your hands. Nobody has to beg you to open up your mouth and sing to God. There's something about a trial that'll just cause praise and worship to leak out of you like water leaking out of busted pipes. It'll just leak out of you when you're going through a trial. And that's the purpose. Verse number six, so Abraham took the wood and he laid it on his son Isaac and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. Can't imagine that. And a, and a knife. He had to have looked at the knife and in his mind known this, this is the thing I'm going to use. He, he took the knife and the two of them went together. Verse seven, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, daddy. You know, one injustice that I think has been done to this text is a lot of times when it's preached, the preachers preach it as though Isaac was a little boy. But the, the historians and commentaries all agree he was between 30 and 40 years old at this time. Okay. So you got to understand the father wasn't taking his life. The son was young enough and strong enough to have resisted. The son chose to lay down his life at the will of the Father. Just like Jesus said, no man takes my life. I got the power to resist. No man takes my life. I lay it down at the will of the Father. Hey, Dad? Dad? <laughs> I uh, see the wood pop and uh, see the knife and I see the fire. Oh, poor daddy. He's, he's getting up there. Uh, daddy, you forgot the, uh, you forgot the lamb for the sacrifice. Where's, where's the lamb? We climbed all the way up here, daddy. And up at this altitude, lambs don't climb. 
this high. Do your research on Moriah. It's a mountain within mountain ranges, and the altitude is so high, lambs and rams don't go that high. Daddy, we climbed all the way up here in uh, woods over there and fire and, and the knife. Uh, where's the lamb? And that faith started talking again. Can you imagine how he felt? Can you imagine what he thought? And yet what he said was, my son, God will provide himself. Oh, Jesus. God will provide for himself. Abraham knows what he's there to do. He knows what he's about to do. And even up until the last moment, faith is still pouring out of him. God will provide for himself. Son, I didn't forget nothing. I came up here because I'm hurting real bad. But I expect God is going to provide something. I know we're in a place where no provision usually happens. We're too high up. We're in too difficult of a place. And yet, I still expect God to provide something. And so he takes, he takes the knife. Honey, I'm going to need you to lay down. He binds his son to the altar and he raises the knife. And up until this point, he's been in faith the whole time, every step. Full of anxiety, mind going crazy, heartbroken, all kind of junk going on. In, in, but, but he's been speaking faith the whole time. Good people. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. Let me correct something in this house. Good people that I love and respect and that teach a lot of quality things have said this in error. And I never want you to misunderstand this. Good people have said that faith and fear cannot occupy the same person at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not true. That is is not true. Abraham is standing there with a knife raised, scared to death, and yet full of faith. How do I know he was full of faith? Because of the words that he's saying. God will provide for himself. Lay down, baby. God will provide for him. Move your arms so I can tie you here. God will provide for himself. Close your eyes, honey. God will provide for himself. And he's about to bring the knife down. And what he's been saying by faith, every step up that mountain comes to pass. An angel comes down and says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on him. This was just a test. It was just a trial. It was just something I wanted to take you through to reveal the faith that's down on the inside of you. Now, Abraham... Abraham, Abraham, I'm talking to you. Look over your shoulder. 
And the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and looked. It's one thing to lift up your eyes. It's another thing to look. See, right now, I'm lifting up my eyes on this whole section. I can see all of you, okay? But now I'm looking at Brother Renosa, okay? There's a difference in lifting up your eyes and looking. When you get in a trial, don't just lift up your eyes. <laughs> you got to make sure when you get in a trial that you still got enough faith down on the inside to keep looking because you are expecting God to provide something in the middle of what your staff wish I had somebody to preach to. If you're in a trial, don't just lift up your eyes. Don't just walk around with a glazed over dazed look on your face. When you're in a trial, make sure you, you look. He lifted up his eyes and he looked and he saw something that shouldn't be there. Not that high. You know anything about rams. You know they don't go that high. Rams' primary diet is vegetation. And on mountains like this, that high, there's no vegetation. There's no reason for this ram to be where he is. But what Abraham didn't know is while he's full of anxiety, walking up that mountain, leading his boy to that altar of sacrifice, on the other side of the mountain, God started talking to a ram. That means the provision was walking up one side of the mountain while Abraham was walking in his problem. He just didn't see it and didn't know that it was there. And while you've been in your problem and while you've been in your crisis, the one thing that you hadn't been able to realize or to see is while you've been in this trouble, God's got provision coming up the other side of that trial, the other side of that mountain, the other side of that difficulty. There will be I don't know who I'm preaching to. I don't know what you're going through. But God sent me in here to tell you this morning, there will be provision for that challenge in your health. There will be provision for that challenge in your relationship. I don't know how we can go on anymore like this. There will be provision for that challenge with your children I don't understand why you're like this can't deal with this there will be provision and when there's not an answer for it in the natural as was the case with Abraham, rams don't climb that high. God will make it supernatural provision. The Bible said he looked over his shoulder and he saw that ram. And the thing I love about it, Pastor David, is the Bible said that the ram was tied up in a thicket of thorns by his horns. Meaning, if Abraham didn't happen to see it the first time he looked, 
the blessing wasn't going to get away. If Abraham had to take a minute and dry his eyes and, and grab his heart and take a few breaths to, to inhale all of the, the freedom that he had just experienced, God wasn't going to let the blessing get away. God tied the blessing right where it was standing because what God has for you is for you. If it's your blessing, God won't let it get away. If it's your blessing, it's got your name on it. If it's your blessing, the enemy can't steal it. If it's your blessing, the enemy can't take it away. If it's your blessing, it can't run away. If it's your blessing tied by its horns because this ram wasn't any ram this ram was there to be the Lord's provision in a hard place of trial for everybody in a hard place of trial the Lord will provide. I started saying it to you when I started my message. The Lord will provide. For those of you that don't have enough and you're stressed out about next week or next month or next year, God said the Lord will provide. The Word said the Lord will provide. The prophet said the Lord will provide. Your heart may be broken. Tears may be streaming down your eyes. You may not know how you're going to take the next step, but in that place of trial, remember, the Lord will Lift up your hands all over this house. I feel the glory of the Lord coming into the room. I feel the anointing of the Lord ministering to the broken. I feel the strength of God coming right where you are. The Lord will provide. Say, Abraham. No, you come here. No, you come here. Yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, the Lord will provide. There's places in your life that are shattered, and you don't know how it's ever going to be put back together, and you feel like you're losing yourself. You feel like you're losing who you are. You've just been walking around in a place that's nebulous without direction and without strength because it's been hurting so bad. But God says to you today that the Lord will provide. Pastor Tracy, the Lord will provide. In the name of Jesus, we speak strength over you. In the name of Jesus, we speak that God will send the help you need and the strength you need and the encouragement you need as you need it in the name oh hallelujah the Lord will provide somebody give God praise in the house the Lord will There's a glory in this house. So, so he, he goes over. Angel says, don't kill him. Test. And he looks over and he sees the ram, but he realizes that's not my ram. That's a sacrifice. Because this is a place of sacrifice. I just don't have to sacrifice what I thought. 
So he can't even, he can't even get up and hug his boy. Angel says, stop your hand. Abraham hobbles over and he starts wrestling that ram out of those thorns. Because he understands, I got a great blessing today, but God still brought me here to a place of sacrifice. It's a type of, through my debt to sin, I should have been the sacrifice. I should have died and I should have bled. And yet, Jesus rescued me. But he didn't just rescue me. He understood it was still a place of sacrifice. So he gave himself. At every place of sacrifice, something has to die. But God has provided Abraham with a substitution. What theology calls substitutionary atonement. Meaning you can take one thing and substitute it for another. And God will view it as if you did the first thing. Substitutionary sacrifices all through the scripture. That's the principle of the tithe. God said, you owe me 100%, but give me 10%. I'll look at the 10% you did give me, and I will substitute it as if you gave me the whole. So, so you owed God your life, but you gave him the sacrifice of laying your temper down. Or you owed God your life, but you gave the sacrifice of laying those drugs down. Or you owed God your life, but you gave the sacrifice of laying that, that whoremongering, promiscuous mess down. Or you made the sacrifice of deleting that phone number you know you shouldn't be calling. Or you made the sacrifice of taking those excessive things out of your life. Those things that lead you to idolatry and lead you to look at other things in the place of God. You owed your life, but you gave a substitutionary sacrifice. Not to be saved. Jesus handled salvation. You gave it as worship. Because it's not real worship. Unless it's a... Old man's dragging that ram over there. Isaac would have been better suited to do it. Isaac could have jumped off that altar, ran over there, got the ram, carried it back, and laid it down. But the old man does it. Why? Because you can't sacrifice for me. I can't sacrifice for you. Sacrifice is something you have to be willing to do. Yourself. So the old man takes that ram back over to the altar and lays it out. And he finally gets to use his knife and his wood and his fire, realizing that God prepared him for the moment, but he didn't see the preparation because of the polarity that his mind was going through. All he was thinking about Isaac. He didn't realize that God was packing him with all of the tools that he would need to go to the place of testing, pass the test in faith, and then make a 
And then he looks at the dead ram burning in the ashes on his altar of worship to God. And he stands back and he leans on his son and he says, you know what we're going to call this mountain? We're going to name this mountain, baby. We're going to name it the Lord will provide. The name became so prevalent that they shortened it later in Scripture and just started calling it Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord will provide. But there's one small caveat to it. There's one small caveat to it. He wasn't Jehovah Jireh until after Abraham passed the test. You got to stay in faith while you're in the middle of that trial. Because if you stay in faith, he will be your provider. See, that's I tried to send this, these notes to you so you could put it on the screen. It was too exhaustive. The language, you know, explaining what the Hebrew meant. And there's even some Aramaic stuff in there. And, and I just didn't feel like I had time. And, and I'm an overthinker. And I just, it was just too much. But really, that translation is terrible. It's not the Lord. Just, it's not the Lord will provide. It's. The Lord is my, my provider. Okay. The, the full thing that he said in the language is, the Lord is my provider and my provision. Okay? But he can't be your provider unless you pass test unless you're still standing at the end of it in faith then and only then can you say the Lord is my provider and my provision the Lord is my provider and my provision oh Lord Jesus bless the people who came today let your word speak deep. Let it resonate in them. Let it stay with them. Let them go home and watch it again and study it and let your word continue to whisper to them all week long. And let every person who needs this have their broken heart bound back together with the balm of Gilead and the cords of your love. In Jesus' name. Listen. I've been wrestling with this all this well since I've been preaching. Um, the sad part of it is it's going to sound like words because most of you don't know me real good. And um, I, there's not much I can do about that. How you take this, it, there's not much I can do about that. Let me say, 
we're standing as a church, as a ministry, inside of the most blessed time we've ever had in 38 years. We have no need. We have no need. No debt, no lack, no need. And I want you to hear my heart because my heart was, and right now God's disagreeing with my heart. My heart was, I I didn't want to do some big offering challenge at the end of this message uh, because especially what everyone's been through this week. And when I felt the Lord speaking to me and dealing with me to challenge you financially, I said, Lord Jesus, not today. This is not the right time. I'm not some visiting evangelist. I'm a pastor. I have to live with these people. And, and I live in this city that they've been through hell in. And, and t- today is not the day. And I'm just going to say whoever wants to bring an offering, bring it. And, and I, there's no way I can challenge the people today. But the Lord has been beating on my heart all message long reminding me that there's somebody in here that is in a place of testing and you need to sow. You need to make a sacrifice. You need to be challenged so that your faith can rise up and meet with expectation that word that was released today that the Lord will provide. So for the 20 or 30 of you in here that this is for, you're in something right now. You're, you're going through something right. I'm talking about right now. And you need a miracle. I want to challenge you. Regardless of what your mind is telling you or your soul or how your flesh is hurting or how you might resist it. I want to speak to the faith that's down on the inside of you. And I want to challenge you to get a $150 seed of faith. This is not going, you know, to, to some need project. We're, we're going to be doing stuff for the community all week anyway. That's not what this is for. We've got that. We're going to do that. We've got that covered. This is about faith. And this is about somebody needing to sow a seed toward the need that you're facing and the trial that you're in. I don't know who you are. I'm not going to parade you up here. If you, if you can't sow 150, but you feel like that you need to sow, so sacrificially, give what you can. That's what the Lord told me. He said, tell them to sow sacrificially. And and for some of you, I don't even want to say this, but I have to say it. For some of you, $150 isn't enough to be a sacrifice for you. You may need to to do larger. But whatever a sacrifice, it's it's not worship unless the worship is established. Whatever means sacrifice to you today, wherever you're at, whatever situation you're going through, and and. And this, if, if, you know, for somebody, $50 is a huge sacrifice. For somebody, 20 For somebody, $5 is a huge. But there's people in this room that need to make a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of worship. They need to send um, something up before God. That's what Abraham was doing. He was going there to sacrifice. And in the place, listen to me, listen to me. It was in the place of his sacrifice that he found out the Lord will provide. God is my provider. And if you're going through something and you need God to move for you, 
a sacrifice will bring the revelation that the Lord is your provider. Again, the church doesn't need this. This is not for the church. If you can hear my heart, this is for you, whoever you are. You, you came today. You needed a word. And then you need to act on it. You need to make a, a sacrifice, whatever that is to you. Father, I said what you told me to say. I didn't want to say it. But I said it. And whoever it's for, Lord, speak to their heart. Let faith arrest them and go into them. Let them receive it, believe it, and then act on it. And God, I know you're true to your word. You're a man of your word. I know you will be the provider and the provision for each individual today that needs something from you. Thank you, Lord, for your word today and your spirit. And Lord, we receive in our hearts this word with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand to your feet and give God a great hand praise.